The book of Acts chapter 16 guests a safe place to be new to the Bible. If you didn't bring one, all you need to do is uh, grab a device and Google Acts 16 and the initials, if you hit the initials ESV, Acts 16 ESV is an English standard version. That'll help because that's the version I'm reading from the translation. we reading from, you're going to want to read this for yourself. It's actually, we're going to read a, a number of verses, a large section, and you'll want to follow along. Chapter 16, beginning with verse 6, the first of many translator headings reads, The Macedonian Call. If you know your Bibles, The Macedonian Calls. And if I could just say, as you find your place, we are back in Acts. We are back in Acts, and the Apostle Paul is on the move, along with his companions. As we learned last week, Timothy uh, has joined the team. Barnabas has gone his own separate way with Mark. They are pressing now towards the boundaries of the, the, at that time, the known world. They're heading west, if I could point the right direction. They're heading west, definitely going where no missionary has gone before, okay? And if you like adventure, listen, if you like adventure, if you like pioneering and exploration and stories about quests and discovery, if you have like an inner, well, like swashbuckler inside you, personality, you're, you're someone who enjoys and looks for dangerous and exciting experiences, I think I have that in me, then you are going to love what comes next in the story of the earliest years of the church and how the gospel spread like wildfire across the ancient world. Our, our passage today, our passage today is the account of the first converts, the first Christians on the continent of Europe. Would you look with me? Beginning with verse 6, I'll read the remainder of the chapter, then pray, follow along. Oh, listen, this is exciting. Verse 6. And they, speaking of Paul and Timothy and Luke and their companions, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Messiah... They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to, to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath, when we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together, one, verse 14, who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. 
to what was said by Paul, verse 15. And she was baptized, and her household as well. She urged us, saying, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse 16, as they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this, and this she kept doing for many days. <clears throat> Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking him and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his whole, all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. 
Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they, Paul, Timothy, Silas, they encouraged them and departed. Very words of God, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this report recorded for us not for posterity's sake not just so that we have history but that we might be freshly amazed that you save sinners like us and here we sit in old town orange 2,000 years later. And you're still telling us the same story. And you're still doing the same things. So we rejoice. Move our hearts that we might see what you're doing for us and for the people that are perishing around us. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us, we pray. Show us your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm. Amen. I'm, 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 I've been moved by this text because the date was March 11th, 2012, when we held our first service here in Orange at Sovereign Grace Church right here in the Women's Club. And the pulpit was like halfway down the room because there were only a couple of us in the room. It's hard to imagine. That was 11 years ago. Hard to believe. Hard, even harder to remember. It's hard to remember. Years of praying and serving and leading and meetings and service had led up to that Sunday. But that Sunday we met in Old Town Orange for the first time, not knowing that we'd still be here 11 years later. I, I dug around in my emails. It was so much fun. I'd forgotten I have forgotten most everything. <laughs> I read the emails. It just seemed like strange reports of things that I wasn't there for. But they were my, they were my emails. It, it, it felt as almost I had forgotten everything that had occurred. And it made me freshly appreciative of the little bits that I can remember. The names, the prayers, the people who became Christians, who trusted Christ in this room and through your relationships and your ministry, people who were baptized, people who were loved and cared for, people who were sent out. Pastors, there's a, there's a pastor in Dubai right now preaching the gospel. He learned it here. Many tears were shed here celebrations that we held here 
songs that we've sung, some of them which we don't sing anymore for good reason, scriptures we had studied, books we had preached, Sunday school classes, Star Wars on our new screen, if you remember that, the, the dunk tank after ordinations, uh, all the offerings that we have done, the people have, have you, and if you've been around for a while, that you have given, the new friends that we've made, the goodbyes that we have said, signing our church covenant in the back of the room, the new church covenant. It's been a thrill. I, I could say, I, I'm, I'm sure for most of you you wouldn't say this, but for me, I could say this has been some of the best years of my life, not because I'm a pastor, but simply because I'm here. I'm, I'm a member. I couldn't imagine what it would be like if it were not for us. Sovereign Grace Church of Old Town Orange. And I know many of you would agree. But here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. Not only are we planning on keeping doing this as long as the, until the Lord returns or takes us home, but He, the Lord, is the Lord has been doing this. What he's been doing among us, what we've been enjoying for 11 years, he's been doing and has done for centuries. For centuries, for millennia. All over the planet, God has been planting churches. Establishing new congregations, even in, among other congregations, new expressions of who he is and what he is doing. Everywhere, nearly everywhere, since day one, ground zero in Jerusalem. And although my memory of what has happened here among us is already fading, and by some point I'll be sitting on a porch and it's just going to be a blank stare, and <laughs> the young guys will laugh at me as I rock and just go, uh huh, uh huh, whatever. <laughs> But there's on the pages for us this morning an account of another church plan preserved for us so that even if we forget what happened among us, we can be reminded and instructed and delighted. This is the origin story of the church in Philippi. The church whose letter, if you're familiar with the Bible, the letter to the Philippians, they, that's, that's who this was addressed to. This, this is the first church in Europe. And, and if you leave here with anything else, uh, any, if you leave here with anything this morning, any new insight, new, fresh perspective in particular regarding the existence of churches, which is itself a supernatural phenomenon, are people here this morning who've gathered together to worship Jesus. If you have any new fresh perspective or appreciation this morning, any, and we're talking about any church because every church was a new church at one point. One, at one time, every church was a church plant. May, may it be this, if you leave with something, that God, God is a church planting God. God is a church planning God. I know there's a, popular, there's a popular saying among churches like us who make it their ambition to reach the lost and, and, and make disciples in new places and in old places by establishing new congregations. And they would say, you'd say it's on lots of websites. If you were looking for a church before you found us, you probably saw it. Everyone's got it there. We're a Christ-centered church. We're all these, it's all the same stuff. All the websites are the same. Actually, they're all the same. They come from one company and then they just rebadge you. <laughs> Why would we invent something new? It's, we're just telling you we meet here. But you said, we are a church planting church. 
right? We're a church plant, and I, and I love that. That's why we sent 30 or 40 people down to Santa Ana, downtown Santa Ana a couple years ago. It's a couple years ago. It's a long time ago now because we got COVID years in between. But it's because we believe in church planting. For us, for us it, it is our conviction that church planting designed by God is the primary means and mode of participating in the advance of the gospel as his kingdom grows, one soul at a time, one new congregation at a time. We believe this. We aim to be this. We plant churches because this is exactly what we see in our Bibles and deduce from our theological convictions. We are a church planting church, but listen, when we really boil it down, what, what we're really saying, what we really believe is that God, this is what's so encouraging here, because you and I, one day, we're, gonna, we're not going to be here, but he, he'll still be here, and God is a church planting God. God is a church planting God. And like the Philippians, our story and their story is really one in which the accent falls on what God has done and is doing and has accomplished and keeps doing and is sustaining. You and I, we play a very, listen, before we look at this, we play a very minor supporting role in all of this. As big as your role feels, as big as you think my role feels or seems to be, and, and if you've been part of a church long enough, especially a new church, a church plant serving, sacrificing, giving, everything you got, just, to, just hoping that it'll make it next week. Pastor Mike and I used to meet every month. We'd meet as the elders every month. It was the two of us. We were the oldest guys in the room. And we would sit there and we'd just, we're going to do it for another month. This is amazing. We're still here. But still, the, the truth is that we play, all of us play, a very minor supporting role. God planted this church. God planted every church that ever was and is and will be, be it in Philippi, Old Town Orange, downtown Santa Ana, hopefully every other city in Orange County, up and down the West Coast and across the Pacific Ocean, Ocean in Asia and our super friends in Australia, our hope is, and our joy is found in the fact that God plants churches. Because this is where we are and what we belong to. God plants churches. Now, that said, and that's what's going on here, we don't got a time to enjoy all the details. You're going to find this in Acts. There's just so many details, and there's, there's so many details in our passage this morning, and it, and it really is just a short summary. It's a synopsis of what happened in Philippi. But... <laughs> Even Luke, the, the author of the book of Acts, isn't, isn't attempting to give you all the details. It's just a synopsis. But my goal this morning is to point out just a few highlights, make some commentary, and, and, and offer some points that will drive home the reason that this history of this church plant was recorded for us. So look with me again, verse 6. The first of four points. Four points this morning. God plants churches. Point number one, he leads he leads these church planting efforts. He, he leads the church to plant churches. Verse 6, look with me again. Luke writes, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. This is fascinating. So interesting. They wanted to head into Asia, but couldn't. They had plans to go to Asia, 
they had a strategy. I'm sure they took a retreat, had plans, consulted from other, you know, whatever, everybody else and other church leaders. They had plans. They had a strategy. I'm sure they had a map. It, it, maybe they sent out ahead some scouts and had some relationships, some contacts. They'd been networking, whatever it was. It made sense. It, it, it seemed wise to them that they should go and preach the good news of Jesus in Asia. But something held them back. And we really don't know what it was. Practically speaking, physically speaking, logistically speaking, we don't know what held them back. But apparently they interpreted their inability to evangelize Asia not as a supply chain problem or a logistics but rather divine guidance. God is in the lead. We're going, but God, God is leading. So look, verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, plan B, foiled, didn't work either. And instead of giving up, or complaining, or digging in their heels, and refusing to change plans, which would be my first, and we'll just grin and bear it, we'll make it happen. No. Rather than insisting, this is so humbling, instead, how did they respond? Verse 8. So, passing by Mysia, who knows what work went into going to Bithynia as plan B, now we're going to plan C. <laughs> Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Yeah, listen, just stop from. You ever get frustrated because what you, what you are trying, 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 to, you're, you're trying to serve Jesus, right? <laughs> by doing whatever it is you believe Jesus is calling you to do or to be or to become or to go to or whatever it is or whatever you want and whatever you think makes sense and I'm already on plan like F <laughs> and, and, I'm, and you begin to ask yourself the question, is it even worth it? Is it even worth it to keep going? Wherever it is that God is calling you to go, you believe God is calling you to go, what a wonderful reminder. Especially we talk about church planting, being a church, being a Christian, being a disciple of Christ. Whatever, what a wonderful reminder that God is in the lead. Even when it gets in the, the way of whatever your plans are. Just keep walking. And they were walking. <laughs> Just keep going. I'm reminded of what John Newton told William Wilberforce, you know those two guys, you got the, William Wilberforce, uh, the man who led the cause to abolish slavery in England in the 1700s, and John Newton, this, this at the time pretty obscure pastor, but, but a pastor. Newton, knowing that Wil, Wilberforce was ready to give up, he was tired and weary. Here's what Newton told Wilberforce, he wrote, wrote to Wilberforce, you meet with many things which weary and disgust you. He wants to change. He, he, want, he wants to change the world. He wants to work. And he believes the Lord has called him to something. And you could fill in the blank for you. Be a pastor. Be a deacon. A job. Married. Whatever it is. 
You got that thing? He says, you will meet with many things which weary you or disgust you. But then they are inseparately connected with your path of duty. It's wearying you. It's exhausting you. I want to give up. And Newton wisely says, whatever that is, whatever that barricade is, that missed opportunity, whatever it is, that it is inseparately connected with your path of duty. And he writes, and though you cannot do all the good you wish for, right? I want to go to Asia. I want to go to Bithynia. I want whatever. Some good is done, Newton says. Some good is done. Let God lead. He's wise. He knows He knows the straightest path. You may think, you may think no good is being done. But the truth is, and Newton is an understatement, all the good that could ever be good is being done. Case in point, verse 9. Look. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. As I told you, this is exciting. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. It's across the water. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, and notice, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Not in Asia, not in Bithynia, passed right by Mysia. To them, that's who God's leading us to call to. Listen, you catch that they're in the going from Paul gets a vision to we agree, right? Paul would, Paul's conferring with his travel mates, with his team. Silas, Timothy, Luke's there. Luke's going to be left behind if you don't catch it later. When they go to leave, he's writing, they're leaving, not we're leaving. But here it is. They conclude that God wants them to preach the gospel in Macedonia, which is Greece, okay? So verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. Mm, God is in the lead. Which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. Not a very impressive city. But the city that God is leading them to. Point number two, look verse 13. God plants churches. God's planting churches. God is a church planting God. And he leads us. He leads his people. He saves. He saves his people. It's him who saves. It's him that creates the church. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, women who had come t- together. Apparently, there's no synagogue yet. Okay, there's no synagogue here in Philippi. They're, they're pretty far, pretty far from Jerusalem, so to speak. That, that, and, and a synagogue would have been Paul's custom to go and to preach to the Jews first, who arrive, when he arrived in a new place, wait for them to kick him out and then preach to the Gentiles too. Why? Because the, the, who he's preaching to in the synagogues are truly those who are gathered there on a Sabbath, on a Saturday, because they're waiting and worshiping a God and waiting for what? For the Messiah, Jesus. But there is no synagogue here. Apparently there aren't enough Jewish men to form a synagogue. So Paul and his companions head down to the river. No jokes about living in a van down by the river. 
He heads down by the river, verse 14, assuming maybe, maybe they're gathering there to pray. Verse 14, one who heard us <laughs> was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. She's a businesswoman, most likely a widow. And there's that sentence. End of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart. This is every preacher's dream. To pay attention. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> to what was said by Paul. What do you think was said by Paul? Same thing he says to the, to the jailer. It's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Verse 15, and after she was baptized, pretty quick there, don't you think? Good churchman. Shouldn't she have gone to a class first and learned a whole bunch of stuff? After she was baptized, and her household as well, and you can't assume from there that all little babies and, and doggies and kittens and everybody got baptized that lived in her house. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Notice there's no record of the amazing sermon that Paul had preached. Luke didn't choose to include. He does include some summaries of some of his other messages. Here, not, there's no message here. Right? Nothing recorded here. Or a method in which they used you know, relational evangelism in order to engage the women. Hey, what are you doing down by the river? <laughs> None of that stuff. The accent, was, the accent of the entire exchange, all that happens down by the river, and the development of this story lands on the end of verse 14. It's all packed into the end of verse 14. The Lord, not Paul, not Timothy, not Silas, not their methods, not their eloquence, not their any of that stuff. The accent lands on the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul's just talking. And God's doing the working, the saving. God saves. That's how a church starts. It's what a reminder. God saves. Isn't it, be, isn't it refreshing to be reminded that evangelistic fruit doesn't rely on the performance of the evangelist? And this is what God has been doing all along. We simply position ourselves. He positions. He leads us into a position where we are present as witnesses to the grace of God. And we aim to present the news, nothing new here, just the news of salvation and announcement via a man and a means of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. He's the news, we're not the news. That he lived and died and rose from the grave on our behalf. And that all you need to do is receive what he has accomplished a peace offering to his father for the sins of his church we speak the gospel we do it as best we can no make any excuse as as faithful as we know how by god's grace and by his power we are his witnesses and then and then we just wait and watch and observe. 
cheering on and celebrating every glimpse of the grace of God manifested in the lives of our family and friends and neighbors. Listen, there's, there's no scaring people into heaven. There's no browbeating people into heaven. There will be no persuading on account of some eloquent argument with proofs and evidence or a really, really, really nice building or a bigger, bigger, bigger screen. In the end, everything we do and the lives we pledge to the place God sends us. And you, listen, you're sent. You're sent. This, this should be a category for you. You're not in California. You're not in Old Town Orange for the weather or the economy or the culture or the surfing or the tacos. So ours are better. You've been sent here on a mission. In the end, everything we do, all that is pledged, everything that you represent then hinges upon is activated by the work that only God can do. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. The Lord opened my heart. The Lord opened your heart and you paid attention to what that Christian was saying or had written. God saves. We speak, but God breathes life into dead souls, into sinners like you and I. Listen, there's, there is no church. There is no genuine, authentic, true, Christ-centered, gospel-proclaiming church without the saving power of God. And again, what a, what a great reminder. <laughs> This has been our story, same as the Philippians story. May, and may it help us to give up on any hope and dream that somehow being like a, the cool mom in Orange County or like the guy everyone wants to hang out with, you know, and then you slide into their life and they didn't even catch what was happening and boop, ching, ching, voila, you're born again, <laughs> you know, no. No, God opens hearts. He seems to like to confound the world with foolish things like me. God opens hearts. God illuminates minds. God saves. Lydia, here. A, oh, there's just so much here, but a demon-possessed slave girl who's making money by fortune-telling. 2,000 years ago, and a jailer, a, a government employee. It's a ridiculous collection of converts. And so are we. So are we. We're not, we're not a fraternity. We're not a special interest group. We're the gathered people of God whom he has saved. And it should look weird. Because <laughs> there is no Christian type. <laughs> There's no, oh, those are the kinds of people that believe in Jesus. Case in point, the church in Philippi starts with a group of people who probably would not even have related to one another in the city that they lived. 
Third point, very briefly, <laughs> he works. He's the one working. He, he works. God's a church planning God, and he leads, and he saves, and he is the one who is doing all the work. He works. Look with me again at verse 19 and following. I'm just skipping ahead. Listen, speaking, he's right here. If we pick up in 19, Luke's speaking of the demon-possessed slave girl who's now spoiled. She's ruined. She's not going to make us any money anymore. She's no longer useful to our owners, which makes everybody angry, especially the people who are losing some money. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was lost, they seized Paul and Silas. On what charge? <laughs> You're cutting into my business here. Dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They're more like they're, they're disturbing your pocketbook. <laughs> Verse 1, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. I don't know what they're talking about. It seems unjust. Isn't that how this whole thing started in the first place? Verse 22, the crowd joined, joined in attacking them. The crowd is, the mob is always wrong. Listen, that's the problem. That's the problem with democracy. That's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's beat these guys. <laughs> The crowd joined in attacking them, and I would have been there attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And that, ooh, look, this is a translation. It meant they beat them with rods. Can you imagine? Verse 20, and when they had afflicted them with many blows. This wasn't like, get out of town. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And that wasn't nice either. Listen, to keep them safely, it meant as in like put them in maximum security, get them all the way into the middle of the prison, and then shackle and lock them up as well. And you'd think at this point, the gig's up. <laughs> it, was, it was a nice run, <laughs> right? And I'd have forgiven Paul and Timothy, or Paul and Timothy and Silas, especially Silas, I would have forgiven them if they were discouraged at this point. Maybe even angry. Can you imagine, can you imagine the conversation in, the, in that cell as they sat next to each other just poking at one another, flies, whatever going on around. I knew we should have gone to Asia. You gave up too early, too soon. Or at least Bithynia, that was plan B. Bithynia sounded nice, but no, right? Verse 25, God is at work. And again, oh, the accent falls right here. This is just a miraculous verse. should not be familiar with this verse. 25, the chips fell where they fell. And about midnight, if, this, if you would have read at about midnight, Pastor Mike, and Pastor Eric, we're complaining, <laughs> trying to get bail, <laughs> aware that we're probably in trouble with our wives for not going to Asia or Bithynia. <laughs> no, he says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Whoa. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's how beautiful. And suddenly... <laughs> There was a great earthquake. 
so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. This is not a little earthquake that we all cheer and go, yeah, and then we post funny photos of chairs falling over in our backyard or something like that. All immediately, verse middle 26, all the doors were opened. You, you start to get the feeling, and oh, is this a really big earthquake? No, <laughs> something else is going on. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. That's a big earthquake. <laughs> the locks shook open. If I could just make one simple point here, one simple point. You can't, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> and the same goes for our stories. Whether you notice or not, countless details, God is in them all. Countless details of our lives. God is in them all. He is working all things to achieve his ends. I, boy, I need to hear this, especially as we're us. But in all of mine, he's working all things for my good, for our good. Whether it's a momentary suffering and setback and hardship whether it's a life of trials, difficulties, things are never going to go back to how good they were back then. But whether you can see it or not, whether you believe it or not, he is working. What a powerful reminder. I don't think we're going to have a lot of earthquakes. Not these kinds of earthquakes. We're going to have a lot of earthquakes. It's big ones coming. But that's not my point. My point is, is that most of the time, it's probably not going to look so obvious, right? It's not like, oh, there's an earthquake. How can, well, that's, that, well, that, that's a surprise. Oh, wait, no. Oh, the, all the doors open. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Oh, wait. Well, the shackles are coming off. I'm in my safe place. They put me all the way in the middle, right? And probably the next thing I would have said is, great, now they can come in and get us and keep beating us or whatever. And we're not in the middle of the prison anymore. But no, no, the reminder here is, is that God, God is the God of every detail. And he is sovereignly working. He's in absolute control, whether you believe it or not whether you notice it or not, whether you like it or not. It's interesting, it's, just, it's, it's, it's even more than his sovereignty, that he is king. It, there's, there's this other theological term you could call providence. There's how he works. Listen, here's the Heidelberg Catechism. This is 1500s. Good brothers and sisters, like the Philippians, like you, 1500s, they're wrestling with the question, and they ask in the Heidelberg Catechism, what do you understand by the providence of God? What does the providence of God mean? Here he goes. The Almighty, he's sovereign. The Almighty, everywhere present, the everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, Fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance. Even this earthquake, even your car that broke down, even your friend who's angry at you and misunderstood what you said, 
or you were home at night and they were getting all the fun and you just sitting there thinking, my life stinks. All of it. All things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Here's how John Piper, this is a fabulous book. I haven't even finished it yet, but I highly recommend it because it's going to end as well as it started, I'm sure. <laughs> but Providence, the magnus opum of, of John Piper, a, a, a preacher from the Midwest, he, he summarizes God's providence like this. His wise and purposeful sovereignty. You take a sovereign God and you say, he's at work. And how is he at work in his, in his providence? And what is his providence? wise and purposeful exercise of his sovereignty he's at work look at us even when it feels like you're at work he's at work finally last point very briefly last observation i'm skipping over so much of the story but look verse 40 god god planted this church god plants churches he leads he saves he works he conquers. And I'm going to use that word conquers for a very specific reason. He conquers. Verse 40, the jailer is saved. The government apologizes. We could, we could have a whole sermon series on that one. The government apologizes. But I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 40, so they went out of the prison. And that's a, quite a summary statement of what just happened. They went out of the prison and visited Lydia, who apparently was not dissuaded at all. You know, like, well, well, they went to jail, so this may not have been such a good thing. I'm, I'm going to think about, you know, maybe I'll try some of the other religions or something like that. No. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, their hostess, with the mostess. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. God conquers. Did you catch it? The brothers. Brothers, as in a church now exists in Philippi. How many days did that take? It said in the beginning they stayed there for many days. And, and, and apparently Luke is going to stay there. The book of Acts, we're going to pick it up. He doesn't go further. Now he's going to work off of reports of other people who went with Paul. But here in the end, we have a church. We have a church. Brothers. And you could read their brothers and sisters. Who cares about the earthquake? Listen. We, we'll forget the names and the big things that happen around us. The Lydia's. The slave girls that are fortune tellers that are demon possessed. Maybe we'll not forget those. But I, Sid, I read my emails. Remember? I was looking through my emails and I was shocked. And how much stuff I forgot. I was questioning if it was really true. People's names. Things going on. Events we did. We'll forget it all. So often we forget it all. But in the end, God is a church planting church. And just as then today, we can say brothers and sisters. So to us, look around. He's taken his enemies, pulled them in as captives, and conquered us. And you know where this all goes? This is where we can just dip out of Acts for a second, and you don't have to turn there. But listen, listen to what he writes years later. 
And you can just imagine Lydia, maybe that slave girl. You can imagine the jailer sit with his family, you know, in the middle, not in the back row, but somewhere in the middle right there. And they finally hear back from Paul. And Paul writes this. He's, he's, writing, about, he's writing about being in jail again. <laughs> No surprise, right? You know, all, like, he's, all these things, that how much he, affection he has for him, it's right that he feels aff- affection towards them. And he's writing about Timothy, and he's writing all this kind of stuff. And then he says, near the end, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. And we could hear the same thing. Just think of whoever it was that preached the gospel to you, handed down all the way from Philippi. It's God who, who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. God's planted churches. Lamps. He writes, holding fast to the word of life, not to our programs, innovative means of reaching the lost. (laughs) Holding fast to the word of life, the gospel, so that in the day of Christ, Paul writes, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And this is what he says, and this is where we end. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. We're going to forget, but we're going to be glad and rejoice in the God who saves people like us by sending people like us, saves us, works all things for our good and our salvation, leaving behind him a kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, we rejoice this morning in your wonder-working power. We're a church-planting church, but more than that, you're you're a God who plants churches. And so we pray, do it again. Conquer our hearts. Open our hearts that we might hear what you're speaking, that we might hold fast to your words and do everything without grumbling or with dispute and we might be blameless even in this world and shine as your light and your witnesses to this generation. Would you lead us? Father, humble us that we might follow you like we read here to the ends of the earth. That you might save and in your saving be glorified. Father, we pray more would join us in being glad in you. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.